Hey everyone, it's Anthony. I want to talk to you briefly about my sponsor, Anchor.fm. Anchor is the free platform where I upload podcast episodes and distribute to other channels like Spotify. Anchor is easy to use, provides you all the tools you need to have a successful podcast, and gives you the ability to make money through sponsored segments. You can find the Anthony Miragliata Show on Anchor and on many other channels. And maybe I will see your podcast on Anchor. Hey, you never know. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another show of the Anthony Miragliata Show. On this show, we respect history, and we love history. And that's why we don't erase history, like some people in America just want to do. And today, uh, we will be talking about the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, For me me personally, um, he is one of my most favorite advocates of all time. He is... He, he is a warrior. He was an American icon, and really, you know, he revolutionized the way we um, are in America now. Um, with me to discuss his legacy is the founder of the American Blockchain Pack, Mr. Todd White. Todd, thank you for joining me today. Anthony, it's very nice to be with you and your followers. Thanks, Todd. So. Um, what does Dr. Martin Luther King mean to you? Martin Luther King means a lot to me. And uh, in my household, uh, I, I had tiger parents. Um, I'm the son of a um, man that uh, retired from the state of Indiana Department of Social Services as a director. And my mother was a nurse. And they grew up in the tumultuous times of uh, the civil rights movement. And uh, in fact, uh, just were married right after uh, the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And with this, um, we were uh, inculcated with what Martin Luther King was seeking to accomplish at that time, which was to basically... Uh, you know, imbue the culture um, with dignity, equality, freedom for their spirits. And he did all these things in the 39 years of life that he had. Right. Yeah, so yeah, I would say that, you know, obviously you grew up in um, so like Martin Luther King was was revered in your household. Absolutely. Absolutely he was. He was he was he was very uh revered. And um you know within my family um I come from um very interesting people. Uh one was a patent holder uh for a great grandfather who um which I'm justifying why the Martin Luther's King, Martin Luther King's um, his presence was so prominent is, uh, as I began to say, was uh, a patent holder. He invented 36 um, military guns, and he also uh, invented uh, storage cooling, vending, you know, like your vending machines. And all those patents were stolen from him. And so given that time, 
of uh, when that all occurred. Um, these type of things of uh, what continues to happen, not as prominent today as yesterday, uh, and during this time, Martin Luther King uh, stood for many, many things um, in this paradigm shift of equal rights, not only for African-Americans, but for all. And right. that's what people tend to forget about. You know, it's really unfortunate, Todd, you know, because his message is really, you know, misconstrued by a lot of people. Like there was a person in my, in my, in my class in college because I talked about how Martin Luther King never wanted, you know, violence. And then this person just goes on a tangent at me, pretty much saying that I have the whole like, message of Martin Luther King um, wrong. And I'm thinking, like, you know, well, because, because in her mind, like, she thinks that Martin Luther King said, a right is the voice of the unheard. Well, he did, you know, say that. But after that, he after literally the words after he said, a right is the voice of the unheard, he condemned violence. Um, right. And, but when you think about, like, these people who, like, think, oh, yeah, you know what, um, oh, like, 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 the, like, summer 2020, um, you saw a bunch of people. Um, burn buildings down and um, say, you know, it was for, you know, social injustice after the after the killing of George Floyd. And, I'm, oh, and I always have said, I've been very consistent on this, you know, what happened to George Floyd, it was a tragedy. And, you know, every, every time someone dies, it's a tragedy. Um, but to say that, you know, you're, you're part of this organization, like, you know, Black Lives Matter, and then you say that you're doing this, you know, just like MLK would do this, you know, that is very, very, you know, incorrect. You're absolutely right. Um, with regard to Black Lives Matter, I, I think uh, the organization started out um, very uh, wholesome. But when money got into the way um, and there's misspending, it changes the, the, you know, the construct, not necessarily the construct, but it, 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 what, what the organization stands for, it drastically changes. And we can't have things like that happen with regard to Martin Luther King. And that, you know, when you indicated your colleague uh, misconstruing uh, the basis of what Martin Luther King tried to achieve with nonviolence in you know, justice and freedom, and faith and religion, and nonviolence, which those um, those fundaments kind of came from Gandhi uh, in his learnings. If you know, for those who really, really looked into Martin Luther King and his stances, um, one thing that people have done from time past, even going back to whatever your faith is, I'm I'm just as a Christian, Jesus they did the same thing, right? That's what Pontius exactly. Pilate tried to do. And we can, there's many case use cases uh, in this conversation all throughout history uh, that um, have done that. Um, I think the worst offender was Hitler, right? So yes. I, I, I agree with um, your, your statement completely. Great, thank you very much. Um, so, like, when it comes to you know, uh, on topic of Black Lives Matter, you know, they, I want to ask you, you know, there are self-proclaimed Marxists, and they, they claim to fight for 
Martin Luther King, but, you know, are they really? You know, that's kind of what we have here in, in today's moment. Um, are they really? Um, I, I think that uh, Black Lives Matter, um, in terms of mess- messaging, um, I, I believe it was, you know, brilliant. Um, you know, from the standpoint of George Floyd, um, you know, when you drive through neighborhoods across the country, I traveled a lot uh, pre COVID, you know, on business. And when you go through neighborhoods, you would see signs, um, Black Lives Matter. You look on um, the signages of churches, you, you have all faiths, Black Lives Matter. From the standpoint of messaging, um, it was brilliant. But what has happened is money has kind of corrupted um, Black Lives Matter somewhat. And that's where uh, things have to get back on track. Right. And um, that that really troubles me um, in deep diving into how the money is spent um, from the standpoint of what I've learned. And that's this is firsthand, not secondhand uh, information. Right. And, and actually, from like last year, when the founder of BLM um, bought those big houses in Beverly Hills, and that's when a lot of the people who donated to BLM in 2020 kind of woke up and said, oh, this is where my money is actually going to for this person to buy all these houses, these really big houses in Beverly Hills. And basically it turns out oh, yeah, they got screwed. And that's when people started you know, turning on BLM. Yes. Yes. Um, that's exactly right. Um, the audits um, bear this out to your point. And um, you, you ask yourself, um, this was a, a, just a great idea, you know, being a founder myself. And the one thing that you do not do is you stick to your constitution. Once you move off of your constitution, if it starts in a good place, you don't allow it to go in a bad place uh, because then you lose everything that you ever put energy in to ascertain and that's what I, I see with Black Lives Matter. Right, good point. I agree with you. Um, so, like, also another um, like, like, like kind of like not this is like an organization, but a theory. Besides BLM, it kind of it kind of ties into the Marxist point of BLM. But you know, critical race theory. Um, obviously, I'm you know, I'm pretty sure we can both agree that yeah, MLK would also be against you know, critical race theory in, in schools. You know, we, I mean, when I was in college, we briefly talked about critical race theory, but I think the mm-hmm. way that it's now talked about, like saying how, you know, basically if you're a certain skin, skin color, then you're oppressed. And if you're a certain skin color, you're privileged. But, you know, how are we able to fix this narrative where if you're born like a certain skin color, then you automatically have these labels on you? You know, that's a, uh, this is a very, uh, deep question. Um, it, um, you know, you have to go back 400 years and um, to where we were, where we are, none of us are indigenous to this country. And um, to, your, to your point with regard to critical race theory, um, I, I wish um, the author of, of this um, got a better shake but at the same time 
what we cannot do is we have to um, learn how to put things pr properly um, in our, 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 our schools. Um, we, we had a problem with Arne Duncan. Um, and, and I think this issue kind of goes back to that period of time when he was the secretary of education and you could only get specific grant funding if you put in certain types of, um, there was, it, it had some kind of sex education in this particular type of program at the time that was being rolled out, rolled out, uh, across the country. And, and that kind of, um, scared people, um, scared me. And hence, um, so when you begin to hear about critical race theory um, and how it's, you know, treated um, and viewed from one side to another, we, we really have to be better communicators. And that's where we're failing, uh, not only our kids, but our country's failing uh, as well. You, you go back to Martin mm -hmm. Luther King, and I'm sorry to root this conversation back to Martin Luther King. He was an exquisite communicator. Words meant something. And that's kind of the way that I was raised. And you listen to every word. You, you, you're, you're a critical thinker. You use words that, um, you know, uh, a noun is a noun, an adjective is an adjective, and our language mm -hmm. is changing in America. So um, when you inject critical race thinking or critical race theory, I'm sorry, um, it is a way of thinking, um, but, and you apply the language that we now use versus then, you're gonna run into pro trouble. No one's really gonna understand what, what really is being connoted in um, the messaging. There's, there's always something behind it. That didn't used to be. Um, um, we're, we're going back to a period of, of propaganda. You know, we got to be really careful in our, our speech, our language. And, and uh, you know, I always tell, you know, my 17-year-old my son, he's a homeschooler, Twitter is kind of destroyed that. Facebook is kind of destroyed the way we speak. Words don't mean what they used to mean. So uh, that's, that's kind of my, my approach to uh, critical race theory and how it was um, presented. And, and, um, and it, 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 it's been lost in you know, many interpretational um, beliefs. And I think we can all come together and do a better job on that overlay or that platform together. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Todd. Um, and this also goes beyond like social media, but also like the real like media on, on TV. Because you know, for the past couple of years, for me, or maybe even longer than that, we've been in the information wars where people get their information from so many different outlets that are either left leaning or right leaning. It's very hard to um, find out which um, news sources are telling you the truth. Exactly. And, and when you have like 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 people call like Fox News, some people call like you know fake news Fox or fascist Fox. Yes. Or but just labeling something as fascist 
is you know when it's not even you know fascist that's it's right. pretty uh it's 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 really you know dumb and it's it's it's, it's mind-boggling to know that you know it's the same like people have called me like you know that i'm far right but i'm like i know i'm not far right but people say anyway because you know i lean to the, to the right um but it just goes to show how again in a way how brainwashed people have become and but it's but i always urge this on this show that i always urge people to think for themselves and um just oh just and, and do your research um and always, you know, um, just watch as many news sources as you can to, to obtain your information. Um, but while um, we're on top of that, um, so like we mentioned before in the beginning of the show, we mentioned how MLK's um, like reputation has been kind of you know misconstrued yes. in society, especially in in schools. Um, but so, how can we teach like, young Americans about MLK and not misrepresent him? That's a great question. Um, um, you know, it's a it's a question for uh, the most recent decades, uh, for certain. Um, excellent question. <laughs> I, I think um, that uh, we have to, um, um, you know, when we're our government, you know, we, we have to we have to operate. There, there's government mandates, there's grants and things of that nature. Um, I, I just think that society has to come together, which, you know, that seems like an improbable um, um, space that, or, or age of impossibility at this point. But I, I just think that um, things have to be taught um, at home. And not everything can always be taught in schools. Right. And books um, have to be still used. I know libraries are drying up um, and we're in a digital world now and not every um, child has the same access. It's totally unequal still in this very age. So, you know, with this stated, we have to get back to an age of truth and defining what that is universally. Otherwise, we're not going to have a country because if we start going down this, in my view, primrose path, then everyone has their own, you know, idea of or vernacular of what the Constitution really means. Right. Again, going back to my original point, things don't mean what they used to mean. It's it's this Orwellian um, approach to language. So, you know, to, to go back to your question, it's, it's a really, um, it's a fascinating question. How do, how do we do this? And uh, I, I don't think anyone really has a, a definitive answer how, but there's certain things that we can do um, as, as described leading up to, um, you know, getting back to this, this point of language and the true meaning of words and not changing words that uh, is happening every day. Right. And that's true. And like we mentioned before, that, you know, we're currently we're in information wars. So, who knows? And so it, it all depends on how, you know, how things are portrayed. 
Yes. And things also, and like you said too, how you know, some things are meant to be taught at home by parents teaching to their kids. Correct. And that also is, you're also on the money right there too. How some things are not meant to be taught in schools. Um, it's true. So, you know, as we um, see uh, with Martin Luther King's uh, legacy, um, I'm going to share a personal, my personal favorite quote by him. Um, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. That's right. And for what I, um, my interpretation of the quote is that, you know, no matter what you're going through, you just have, you just have to keep a, a positive attitude and just keep on going. Like, you know, I live by that quote every single day. Absolutely. And it's something that I would keep in mind that, you know, whenever I'm going through a bad time, it's something that I wish refer back to. Like, well, you know, what do you think about that quote? And like, what is your favorite quote by MLK? Oh, I have many. Um, you know, um, here's my, um, one of my favorite quotes uh, when it comes to community. And I, I really admire yours because I, um, like I said, coming out of a, a, a uh, being taught uh, not only by my grandparents and parents uh, about Martin Luther King and what this man stood for from the standpoint of all, not just uh, African-Americans or, or, or black people. Um, I, I think that um, um, it's, it's faith, it's, it's spirit, it's everything the country, this country is made from. You know, there are going to be crooked roads, but with faith and moving forward, you will always achieve your goal or common goal if everyone works together. But my favorite quote is, an individual has not started living until he can rise above the narrow confines of his individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of all humanity. That's, that's my favorite quote. It's all encompassing to what we're talking about here. Awesome. I'd love to hear it. Um, another thing you want to do, I'm discussing with you, Todd. Um, so, as you've seen, um, what Martin Luther King, he fought for was, you know, he wanted, you know, equal justice under the law. And we even have a constitutional amendment under that, you know, where, you know, everyone's equal before the law. But for some strange reason, you know, most po- a lot of politicians, both the left and the right, want to divide us. And the more, you know, divided we are, the more the politicians thrive. They thrive off of people being afraid. Correct. Um, so when you see people like, like, or just politicians in general, um, like doing division in this country, um, how can like the, uh, the, uh, the American people um, stand up to these people, you know, the politicians? Great question again. Uh, I think that you have to use your First Amendment rights. You need to um, clearly articulate what the problem is uh, that is being um, remarked by the politician in question. Uh, Have a critical uh, discussion as to why this hurts um, the, the voting um, issue of the day, um, which there are many right now. 
um, we really have to think about this and we can't continue to keep creating fissures um, in this country and create conflict because, you know, the, there are other countries in, um, needless to say, China and Russia. So by virtue of this, we, we really have to watch what we're doing here. And I think that's probably the best way is to use our voices. Um, hence, we use the press. And, you know, in this day and age, you know, we, the press doesn't even always get it right. Um, we have to challenge the press as well. We have to challenge everyone, not just politicians and not those who have, you know, these surreptitious mo uh, motives. We have to be very, very careful with, um, you know, again, the truth. The truth is very, very important. And no one really knows what the truth is. Um, everyone has to dig before something is being stated. And um, we, we really have to come together on this uh, once and for all. Right. Or otherwise, we, 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 as we've climbed so, uh, you know, um, metaphorically, um, that mountaintop that Martin Luther King has uh, uh, always, always, preached in some of his last um, sermons, um, you know, going up to that mountaintop at the end of his life before he was assassinated. Well, we, we did. We, we've gone up that, that, that mountaintop. We haven't maybe gotten all the way there, but we're, we, we risk being rolled back. And I wish people would understand the impact of their words because words, again, matter. Yeah, words matter a lot, especially in today's day and age. That's right. Uh, yeah, and this is um, our my last question for you, Todd. Before we before we um, wrap up, um, have you ever um, been in the same position like MLK has in his life? I've I've always. <laughs> that's a interesting question. Uh, thank you. Absolutely, I have. Um, I'll I'll be very frank with you. I grew up. Um, uh, as I described my parents, I grew up in a middle-class family. I grew up in a very rural area, um, along the Michigan, Indiana border and, uh, in a small, small town, a town where many people never get out of that town. And, uh, albeit I had tiger parents, uh, we were, um, it was, um, you know, instructive of us. I have, uh, uh, brothers, two brothers and a sister and, uh, we had to all learn two to three different languages. Uh, education was very, very important. And um, both of my parents came from very large families. So my father was kind of a hardliner and said, you know, you either go to the military or you get a scholarship if you want to get out of this town. It was more motivating than anything. I'm sure my parents would have paid for my education, but I ended up getting a, a scholarship. And so at every stage of my life, um, to be frank with you, it, it has always been um, like in every, anyone's life. It's been a challenge. And uh, being an African-American male, um, I can, you know, probably attest and many will concur. But um, we, we, many men, black men, don't uh, cite these things that just come at them, uh, that they're faced with, um, just 
by and gone the day. And um, so it started out as a young man and in schools and um, as a young kid, and but moving forward, you know, getting into college and uh, on a full ride scholarship. And, you know, there were um, as a college football player and uh, going back to school and starting companies and, you know, um, found it very difficult because I was always ahead of my time and trying to get things accomplished. And I had big ideas and dreams. And so at every stage and, uh, but you, you learn from your pain and you have to learn how to manifest it. And you can't be driven by the sorrows of that pain. You can control those things. And that's what Martin Luther King uh, has predominantly tried to affect in everything that he did. You have the choice, which was nonviolence, but at the same time, uh, the corollary is you keep your spirit going in the right place, and that's how you achieve your dreams. Very perfectly said, Todd. It's um, you know, and and, that, and that's the activist work that MLK lived his life by. You know, he he knew that he was doing a good cause, and he like basically single-handedly changed America, and America is a better place. Um, with his legacy intact. So before you head out, Todd, I do want to ask you a couple of questions about um, the American Blockchain Pack. So as founder of the American Blockchain Pack, what is your vision for the future of America? Thank you for asking the question. My future as founder of the American Blockchain Pack is to be able to transcend uh, opportunity economically by way of digital assets, blockchain for everyone. And what I specifically mean by this is uh, this new technology is like the printing press. It will be able to provide economic empowerment evenly through our society. It transcends race, creed, color, uh, economic uh, level, uh, whatever adjective you wish to apply to uh, our, our society. This is what the power of digital assets and blockchain can achieve. Great. So, like, how do you, how would you say, how could, um, the American Blockchain Pack achieve those goals? They can achieve them in a myriad of ways, but there are some first principle steps that have to be put in place. That is uh, working with Congress in, in, a, in, a, in a very thoughtful, methodical way from the standpoint of um, supporting existing incumbent members of Congress who are trying to sponsor uh, crypto and blockchain friendly legislation that hasn't uh, fully uh, extended to uh, those committees within Congress that are uh, are really uh, accountable or for better words um, voting on legislation that is going to be uh, transformative 
for uh, the years to come with regard to crypto and blockchain. That's that's goal number one. Um, we are cognizant that there are going to be members of Congress uh, within the bicameral Congress that are going to be antithetical to change for a multitude of reasons. So uh, by virtue of that, uh, we have to be prepared to run primaries within different areas of the country against those members of Congress that do not want to change and continue to hold on to legacy uh, systems, i.e. banks, in the way that they've done things. And then the third action step is, frankly, um, we have to create a new political party where generation, generation X, Y, Z, millennials can all come together and um, put their own technocratic ideas together to create a political uh, pathway that doesn't plug into the old democratic um, issues of the day or the Republican issues of the day, because they don't really understand some of these issues that aren't, aren't really important to them. And in the most recent Gallup poll, 62% of our, our voting public want to see a third party. They're, they would vote to push forward on a third party. That's, that's how we see it here at the American Blockchain Pack. Gotcha. That, that is such a great idea to have. Um, in my opinion, though, I mean, I know a lot of people thought about um, former President Donald Trump was going to form the Patriot Party, and then he shut down all those rumors saying that he was not going to form the Patriot Party because it would be the demise of the Republican Party. But, you know, I, I was obviously, you know, most third-party people when they run for office, they don't do so well because there just isn't that much support. Um, but obviously, with the, the, the way the two-party system is now, with the Dems and Republicans, you know, people are just, they have to, they, they feel obligated to support one of those parties. And, then they, and they feel like the other parties, still the, the secondary parties as like inferior to the Dems and the GOP. And, and like I always said before, early on this podcast that, you know, to think for yourself, that's the number one thing. Um, and the last question I want to ask is, so blockchain and digital assets have the ability to cut across many different social divides. Do you envision a change in America's political future because of digital assets? Absolutely. Uh, we do. And the primary reason why is uh, I kind of touched on it in a uh, previous question, but I'd like to expand um, the uh, construct or idea uh, which the American blockchain pack wants to uphold is that we have to be able to recognize that digital assets will um, impact voting. Everything that you can possibly think about, uh, our software, um, the Web3, we, you know, uh, the way that um, supply chain is run, everything that you see, cars, uh, this is why. Um, these issues are so important. And if we don't focus on them, 
then we're not going to advance our society when the rest of the world is embracing digital assets and blockchain. And we're going to find ourselves at the bottom of the reciprocal rather than the, the or I should say, we're going to be the, the, the minority in, in the reciprocal of uh, our, our world. And that's not a position that I believe uh, anyone in this country wants to um, be be associated with in terms of pre the present and or the future. Right. Yeah, but that's a great sentiment to have right there. Um, so I'd like to thank Todd White for joining me today. I um, really appreciate um, his thoughts. Todd, thank you for Thank you so much for joining today. Your insight was very, very valuable. It's been a real pleasure to have an opportunity to speak with you today. And uh, looking forward to uh, a, a wonderful Martin Luther King Day and uh, remembering um, all of the, the gifts that uh, this, this day embraces. Yes, I totally agree. So as always, this is Anthony Morelliana signing off. See you later, everybody.